Our reading this morning is taken from the book of Psalms, and it's Psalm number 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. In Revelation Chapter 22, starting at verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great city of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is God's word. Well, good morning, everyone. Let me have my welcome. Uh, My name is Matt Fuller, if we've not met. Let me lead us in prayer as we look at Psalm 46 together. Great God and Father, we thank you for the promises of the Scriptures, promises uh, which we can cling hold of because you are the God who keeps promises throughout your Word and throughout history. We see it time and time again. And even as we look forward to a new world and a new creation without war. We thank you that our hope is grounded in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we don't speak of any conflict as the war to end all wars, as the great war was spoken of. But we know we have our faith and our trust in the man to end all wars, the Lord Jesus Christ. Encourage us once again in him we ask. Amen. Well, last year then, uh, being it, excuse me, being as it was, a hundred years since uh, the Great War ended, increased coverage uh, on television. And uh, nightly, certainly in the BBC News, they had some feature or other. Uh, one night I happened to catch a segment. It was just on News at Ten. Um, Martin Bashir um, talking about how. In the First World War, part of the equipment, standard equipment for every soldier, along with you know, clothing and backpack and rations and, and gun and, and hat, etc., was a Bible. It was just issued to every soldier as part of their standard equipment. 
It was viewed as instinctive, obvious, a hundred odd years ago, that, well, amidst the mayhem and chaos of war, uh, amidst the, the, the misery of life in the trenches, well, obviously, the encouragement that the men would need is that of the Scriptures. Obviously, they would want to find their strength and their refuge in the God of the Bible. Of course, this was presented as, um, what is Martin Bashir? He's a believer, so he wasn't uh, daft about it. But, um, of course, there's a sense of, well, that may be surprising to you and I now, that that was an instinct a hundred years ago. But they, uh, they sort of package this around the story of uh, George Vinyl, 25-year-old soldier, and uh, they interviewed his grandson. George Vinyl, the t- uh, uh, 25-year-old soldier then, he had um, been in conflict and been under fire. He'd emerged from the trenches under fire and uh, dived back in as uh, uh, bullets flew around him. And uh, the conflict of that particular battle died down or, or skirmish died down. And a little later, he took out his Bible to read it and realized... Well, a bullet had jammed in it, and somehow this Bible had stopped this bullet killing him. Well, he thought this was quite extraordinary. Open up this sort of splattered, burnt book now, and he said the bullet was jammed in and forcing open Isaiah 49, and he said the verse that jumped out at me was the Lord saying to Israel, his people, but George Vinyl felt it very much for him, I will preserve you. And he said, well, wonderfully you did. And in uh, the words of his grandson, granddad went from being a sort of God-fearer to a passionate Christian who, at the end of the war, spent the rest of his life translating the Bible into different languages around the globe because the Lord had preserved him. And he said, for something else. That's a sweet story. What do you think? Would you send every soldier into conflict now with a Bible, thinking that's the most useful thing they need, not to defend themselves, but for their own sanity, for their own hearts, to find their strength and refuge in the living God? Well, Psalm 46 would say that's right. Because the message of this psalm really is, look, don't fear the violence and the chaos. Take refuge in Christ. Don't fear the the, the chaos, the violence around you, but take your refuge in Jesus Christ. Now, look, we're diving into the book of Psalms, and here we are in Psalm 46, and and the psalm itself, it tells us what tune to put it to, according to Alamoth, whatever that is, but it doesn't tell you the specific historical setting. But it seems obvious when you read through it that Jerusalem, the capital city, the city of God, is threatened with invasion. And if you have been with us earlier in the term, you know, as we looked at the book of Isaiah, that for periods in Israel's history, number the 8th century, every generation had faced that very real situation, that Jerusalem was surrounded, under siege, and that was their life. So maybe, maybe, certainly one of those settings. But here's a city, and God's people in the city, and they're under siege, and they're under the threat of invasion, and the war is close. And there is chaos. And they can say, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. God is our refuge and strength, 
an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. That is extraordinary that that's what they could say. Surrounded by army. I don't suppose more than a handful here have been in a war zone. And the utter chaos of that. I don't think I'm conscious of anyone here who's lived in a city under siege. And the horror of that. The fear of the city falling and being butchered. You and I are in a different setting to Psalm 46. We'll come to it, but as much as anything else, we live the other side of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But even though we're in a different setting and we're not in a city under siege, if you and I understand this psalm rightly, we'll be able to say, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble, therefore we will not fear. And I think that works in the chaos of grief or in trouble at work or fearing your job loss or amidst mayhem in your family at home. God is our strength and our refuge. He's an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, I will not fear. We do not fear. Now, the psalm, the structure is given very clearly, verses 1 to 3, 4 to 7, and uh, 8 to 11, the footnote tells you there's a sort of break, this word salah, no one knows what it means, but it just means pause or break, uh, uh, structures it. So you get the, the, the main assertion, I think, of the psalm in verses 1 to 3. It's developed in verses 4 to 7. And then the 8 to 11, we're told what to do. That's where you get the imperatives, come, see, be still, know. So we're going to look at it uh, like that. Nature may roar, verses 1 to 3. Nations may roar verses 4 to 7, but we can know that Christ is our fortress, 8 to the end, right? Nation, nature may roar, nations may roar, but we can know that Christ is our fortress, okay? Work through it like that. So verses 1 to 3, nature may roar and mountains fall. Now, verse 1 is a very wonderful statement. It's a statement about God. It is not a statement about how you feel. That this verse 1 is just fact. It's not, I feel that God is like this. I recognize that God is like this. Verse 1 is just objective truth, always true. God is a refuge and strength. Refuge has a sort of more of a defensive sense. I hide myself in him. Strength, the strength to move forward. This is both directions of what you need. Well, that's paralleled. You can summarize in other ways. He is ever-present. He's an ever-present help in trouble. That is, well, it's a lovely little phrase, I think, ever-present. Not God is nearby. Not, oh, I'm in trouble, so now I'll call upon him, because he's ever-present. Uh, you know, it is sometimes... Something's gone wrong at home. The, I don't know, the boiler man says, oh, I'll be with you between, uh, we've got an appointment, it's a three-hour window, be with you between 8 and 11. Gets to lunchtime or later, 2 o'clock, and you ring up, and after 17 holds, you get through to someone who says, oh, he's nearby. He'll be with you in the next hour, which you interpret as probably before midnight. Um, it's not he's sort of nearby, sort of close to you. He's ever-present always there. 
as it's put elsewhere in the scriptures. Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're with me. You're always with me. Or in the New Testament, Hebrews 13, the Lord says to his people, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Or Jesus says, Matthew 28, I'm always with you to the very end of the age. I'm always with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm with you, ever present. And the implication of that, if we get that, well, our response is verse 2. So verse 1 is objectively true. God is ever present. Verse 2, what do we do? Therefore, well, therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. It's a sort of cry that we say together, we will not fear. Psalm 46 has a sort of defiance to it. Look, I know the odds are against us. I know you think we're mad, but we will not fear. It has a sort of defiance to it. Now, look, I've got to be honest, emotionally, none of us are going to stand here or sit here this morning and say, well, yes, I've just remembered that God is my ever-present help, and therefore I will never be afraid again. Well, that was easy. If only I'd remembered that earlier in life. Emotionally, that's not possible. We don't live that way. We do fear all sorts of things. But the point is, when we get verse 1 and declare it to one another, we move more towards this. It's an assertion of intent. We don't want to fear. We're not going to fear if we remember who he is. And the circumstances are hard. We're not fear, though, verse 2, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. The, the earth and the mountains, in the thought of the day, those are solid things. The sea, scary. So the sea in Hebrew thought, uncontrollable, restless, menacing. It's why when you get to the end of the Bible, it says in the picture of heaven, there'll be no sea. And those of us who love swimming and sailing and all sorts of things, go, but we want there to be sea. The point is, it just won't be scary stuff. The sea is menacing in Hebrew thought. And now the things that are stable, mountains, the earth, they're collapsing into chaos. The sea, that's the picture here. If you're a Hebrew, you always want to get your feet on solid ground and off the sea. In other words, what the psalmist is saying is, God is my refuge and my strength. He's our refuge and our strength. We will not fear. He is an ever-present help in times of trouble, even when the world's collapsing. We'll not fear. Even though everything around us is falling apart, We'll not fear. My uh, in-laws live down in uh, Devon. It's quite near the sea. There's very lovely uh, cove, Odicum Beach. Very pretty, very picturesque. Um, uh, and uh, for years, uh, I've gone and visited them down there. And you swim out to sea. And there's this one, you know, let's be honest, house I slightly coveted. Um, because you get the sea. And it's about 100 meters up. And uh, you've got these dramatic views from the top of the cliffs. This, and this stunning house with vast grounds sort of overlooking the whole of the cove, and then you can see round into the next cove. Just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Uh, and then about three years ago, it fell into the sea. One night, dramatic storm. And, um, you know, for, for, the, for months afterwards, the whole sea is sort of red from the sort of cliff face. It's all, and um, even now, it's all sort of, you don't want to go quite near it. 
But I just, in my own mind, thought, uh, imagine being in the house. Can you imagine that? And it's a fearsome storm. And then what happens first? I don't know. Cracks appear in the wall. And you think, oh, that's not good. And then before you have time to think what's going on or ask the question, the whole ground beneath your feet starts to slide. And the whole, it's about a 40 meter depth of the chunk of the cliff face just went. And the psalmist is saying, that's how we feel. It's just chaos. And everything we've taken for granted is falling into the sea. But we're not fear. Verse 3, even though the waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with the surging of the waters, even though the menacing seas just makes me feel like I'm in the midst of chaos and nothing is certain and there's no place to put my feet which is safe, we will not fear because God is our strength and our refuge. We will not fear, though we're Israel, scared of our city being invaded. We'll not fear, though we're Christians, scared the church will be overwhelmed. Someone know this is Martin Luther's favorite psalm. He used to say all the time, the church will not be overwhelmed because God is our strength and our refuge. Though we're a family anxious about our future and what it holds, we'll not fear. We won't fear the violence and chaos. We'll take our refuge in Jesus. God is an ever-present help. So as I mentioned to some who were here on Wednesday, just try this for a week, okay? See if you can do this for a week. Uh, every time you see your shadow, you know, it's in the daytime and the sun is shining and there's not a cloud in the sky in November and it's blue skies. Anyway, uh, at nighttime when the lights come on and uh, you see your shadow, you say, oh, there it is. I haven't seen my shadow for hours because there's not been any sort of light. But there it is. It was always there, my shadow. There's my shadow. It's ever present. Just like the Lord. Is ever present. Just try that for a week. Every time you see your shadow, there it is. Ever present. God is my ever present help. He never leaves me nor forsakes me. Always. Always there. So nature may roar and mountains fall. Verses 4 to 7, nations may roar and kingdoms fall. So verses 4 to 7, rather than the sort of violence and terror of nature, it's the violence and terror of nations. I think it's the same scenario in view, just rather than a poetic description, 1 to 3. Here is more factual language, uh, verses 4 to 6. But the key again is, verse 5, God is within her. God is with her, Jerusalem. God is present. There's clearly a shift here. Verse 4, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar. Nations fall. But he lifts his voice. The earth melts. So the, the, the waters, which were terrifying, verses 2 and 3, well, now they're just a river. Well, that's nice. A river that makes... The city of God, Jerusalem, glad. Now, that's not literally true. You read any part of the history in the Old Testament, 
There's no river that flows through Jerusalem. That's one of the reasons it's vulnerable. One of the reasons Hezekiah has to dig a tunnel so they can get water, uh, so they can withstand sieges a bit more. There's no river there, really. But the writer is saying, but if God is with us, the things that we're scared of, well, no longer. He's with us. I think it's picking up the language of, uh, of the book of Genesis, Genesis 1 and 2. If, when we know that God is with us, this city becomes it's like the Garden of Eden with a river running through it. Or as we had read, like the picture of the new creation with a river running through it. Do you notice the key difference that God makes? That the language of roaring and falling... So compare, verse 2, mountains fall into the heart of the sea and waters are roaring. Now, verse 6, nations are roaring. Same word as verse 3, uproar. Nations are roaring, but their kingdoms fall. The contrast, verse 5, God is within Jerusalem, she will not fall. Do you see there's a recurrence of the language? There is a roaring around you. There's a roaring around you. Will you fall or will you not fall? If God is with you, you'll not fall. Otherwise, you will. That's what he's saying. So verse 6, the nations are roaring against Jerusalem, but they fall. Why? Well, because God lifts his voice. That's all that needs to happen. When was looked, Isaiah uh, chapter 37, earlier early in, in, in the year. Jerusalem surrounded by Sennacherib and his army. God speaks and they all go. It's just what happens. He's the place of safety. He's the only place of safety. And that's still true today. Slightly different sense, of course. But even today, look, nations are going to roar against one another. It happens. We are not in a war-free world. Now, every so often, of course, you get great optimism in the human race that there's always the, they sort of ebb and flow, but you get a period of human history where the, the humanists who say there is no God will say, well, look at the human race. We're getting better all the time, aren't we? We're getting nicer to one another. Um, so you get a vast you know, push towards, isn't, isn't humanity wonderful uh, at the end of the 19th century? And then you get a world war, which crushes it. Uh, and then you get a Second World War. And then you get another great rise of, of, of optimism and humanism, particularly 60s, 70s. You get songs that everyone loves. Imagine there's no da -da -da, countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to live or, or nothing to kill or die for. No religion too. Uh, and then everyone gets very optimistic. And then, well, hold on a minute. There's still warfare. You want to say to dear John Lennon, well, imagine that. Imagine there's no conflict. But you fell out with your best friend, Paul McCartney. You threw a party when he got imprisoned for drug dealing. It was warfare in your own heart. How hypocritical of you to say there was nothing to live or die for. You hated him. But these things come up every so often. You get the ebb and flow. February, 9th, February 2017. I read the highlights. I didn't read it all. The highlights of Mark Zuckerberg's 6,000 word missive on how Facebook would unite the world, how his dream was for every household to have an internet connection with Facebook and unite the world. Because he says, history tells us, that when the world is connected, we come together and achieve greatness. And you think, how's that going? 
It's two years later. You see the cover, I mean, the cover of Wired magazine earlier over in the summer, the one with him brutalized. It's been a brutal two years. And this tool, and it's, it's the technology's great, but the users, the users like you and me, as, well, the technology's used to, I don't know, rig elections maybe, affect referendum maybe, determine political polls maybe, see the rising and falling of nations maybe, but certainly allowing people in the UK to issue death threats against their MPs, aggressive language. Might be so often great optimism in the human race, but quite quickly, because as the, uh, the poem we have read on the screen, yeah, within humanity, within all of us, there's the gallant heart, but the savage will. There's a roaring in our own hearts, and given the right context, it can come out as, well, a harsh word, or a death threat on a Twitter feed, or a civil war, or a NATO member, such as Turkey, killing Kurds to protect their own country. It'll come out in different ways, depending upon the context, but there's always a roaring. And the psalmist says, well, look, you need to have God as your strength and your refuge to defend you against the chaos, protect you against, inure you to a certain extent against the chaos of this world, but also the chaos in your own heart. You need to look to him as you get the chorus, verse 7. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. He's irresistible. He's almighty, all mighty, not sometimes, always. Look, nature may roar, nations may roar, but last thing, briefly, we can know that Christ is our fortress. Here's what we're meant to do, verse 8. Come and see. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he's brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. And of course, you read this and think, when's that then? Uh, what's the time frame for this one? Well, maybe, maybe. The, the writer is thinking back to the Exodus. It's the only other time you get this little phrase of verse 5, that the break of, do- the break of day, God helps. It happens uh, when the Red Seas are parted. So it might be a reference back to that. I think more likely he's looking forward to the new world. A world not just when God conquers, but destroys the weapons Verse 9 is a wonderful phrase, isn't it? He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. There are no more bows or spears or tanks or missiles. I think here is the prophecy or a prophecy of the new creation. Here is a prediction in the Psalm, Psalm 46 of Revelation 22. A new world. And the only way you can know that world is by trusting that Jesus Christ is your strength and your refuge. The coming of Jesus has to transform the way we read this psalm. Old Testament, Jerusalem, 
is the place where God dwells. I mean, he lives everywhere, but dwells intensely, representatively. It dwells to bless. New Testament, it's not a city. God comes and dwells in a man, Jesus Christ. And so if you want to know safety, protection, you go to him. And ultimately, I guess, the chief thing you and I have to fear in this world is actually not in this world. <laughs> the chief thing you and I have to fear is getting to the end of life and standing before the living God who is perfect in all his ways and having him roar against all we've done wrong. And that's when you have to know Jesus Christ is your refuge. This language of mountains falling into the heart of the sea, it's always the language of judgment in the scriptures. You have a little game afterwards and quiz one another. How many songs, pop songs, can you think of that have that line in them? It's loads. It's biblical language for God's judgment. You too, there's one for you. Use it to describe Hiroshima. Dreadful, terrible, end of the world sort of picture. Mountains falling into the sea. And that's when you have to know that Jesus is your refuge. Jesus is the one who was broken and fell so that you can stand before the living God. George Vinyl had a Bible that absorbed a bullet so he didn't die. The Christian is one who has a saviour in Jesus Christ that absorbed God's judgment against all we've done wrong so we can stand in eternity. Knowing that, well, that does help you to stand here and now. We know it in simple terms. Knowing that the future is fine keeps you going here and now. You're in the midst of a howling storm, a raging temp, you know, driving rain. It is grim. It is hard work. It is miserable. But if you're nearly home, you don't give up. You just think, I've got to get home. And at times in this life, when it is hard and it's chaos around you and you hear the roaring of conflict, perhaps, but certainly of chaos, you think, I don't know quite how long, but I'm nearly home. I'm nearly home. And when I get home, there's a welcome waiting for me. God is my strength and my refuge. He's my ever-present help. He'll get me home. I'll keep going. I'll not fear. I'll push on. So we're not there yet at the time when wars have ceased. But Psalm 46 would say to you and me, don't fear the violence and chaos. Find your refuge in Jesus. He is your strength and your refuge. is your ever-present help in times of trouble. Therefore, well, let's encourage one another. If we have him, we don't need to fear. Let me lead us in prayer.
come and see what the Lord has done. Father, we look forward to a time when wars have completely ceased, when the means of war has been destroyed, not just the bow and the sword and the shield and the tank and the missile, but the hearts within us that rage. We look forward to being in the new creation. And in the meantime, we come and see what you have done in the Lord Jesus Christ. And looking at him, knowing that he is our refuge and our strength, we keep going in trouble. And we look forward to being with you in the new creation. So, Father, in the chaos, would we take refuge in him? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.